start with podcast 22 and I have to go really quick because today Dick comes in and tells us all about supermarkets and has a big row with Phil. Yeah. Hello, Rich. Hi, Ev. Hello, Phil. Hello, Ev. So, we've got some feedback and we have our first ever iTunes reviews on the US iTunes. Thank you, Toast. Happy clapping. <laughs> that dog's so good at clapping. <laughs> and the lady who wrote it was Christine Lively, and she, her website is www.farmgroupie.com. Isn't that cool? Farm Groupie. I've been there, and it's great. And she's written to us, and she says, Just a note to say how much I'm enjoying listening to your podcast. I'm a home gardener, and I'm an advocate of small farms and local agriculture. Having only recently discovered your podcast, I've been listening to as many as I can to catch up on all the episodes. The only danger that I have to report is that I have inadvertently been adding words like brilliant and corker into my speech, along with a slight British accent. <laughs> Thank you for the giggle. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's great. That's really nice. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we speak more English. Right, okay. In the podcast. So tonight I'm going to watch the telly. Speak more English. <laughs> you know, English, English. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you need With to better think grammar. Ditter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so last night I was on the Wompo. Er, did. Wompo. <laughs> anyway, more, more feedback. So here's our latest review from Adam Beaumont on the English iTunes. Richard's going to read it out. To all the guys at Wiggly Wiggers, thank you for what you do. It is a refreshing change to come across a group of people who are really, really interesting. No, he doesn't say that. Interested, rather. In what they <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in what they do for a living. <laughs> no, it doesn't yeah, say Freud, you're Freud, interesting. Freudian slip, you're fine. <laughs> this is obviously much more than just a job to you, as you are willing to put so much time and effort into giving us something of such high quality for free. The podcasts are always fun, enjoyable and informative. Thank you. So here's a poem from Adam. There was a young lady called Heather whose podcasts are ever so clever. She loves all things wiggly and is ever so giggly. What an amazingly raucous endeavour. That's really clever, isn't it? It's really good. She's not young, though. I taste into her. You are. (laughs) Give me that paper. I just need some anti-ageing cream again. <laughs> okay, yeah. moving on. We've I think got we're to... interesting, Rich. Anyway, even yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I think it's really boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said to you, that's it. Now, yeah, but you're, you're a bit thorny today, aren't you? I yeah. noticed that. I said to him because you'll hear Richard's song thrush tape at some point. Might be this week, might not be. But I said, you know, I really enjoyed walking up round the wood yesterday morning without you telling me all about it. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, sometimes you just yeah, don't want to know, exactly do you? The same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so here we are with the competition results. And the Latin name for a robin is Latin name for a robin is Erythacus rubecula. Thank you, Richard. No problem. And the winner is Thom. Well it could be Tom, but it's got a H in it. Yeah, interesting, wasn't it? But it's Thom Flaxman. Congratulations. The book, How to Be a Bad Bird Watcher, will wing its way to you and I shall be emailing you. Um, but in the meantime, we've got a little tiny bit of feedback about robins. It says, this is from Mary Sanders. Besides singing, the robin also gives out an alarm call. The book describes it as a thin see and a repeated tick. I often hear this tick, tick, tick when I walk out into my garden. 
my resident robin is treating me as an intruder into his territory. One year, a pair of robins made a nest in my garden shed and raised one youngster. I enjoy listening to your podcast. It provides huge contrast to my city life and the problems of my tiny London garden. If robins are territorial, why do I get three males in the garden? Could the big cheeky one be the father of two slimmer adolescents? Or is my Wiggly Wiggler seed so plentiful that they've given up their territorial ways? Are they territorial in the spring? Are they all three there in the springtime? And how does she know that they're all male? Mm. Hiya, Richard. I'll be honest and admit to having to do a little bit of research on this week's contest. What I found was not one, but two separate terms. One for the North American variety and one for the European. The North American robin is known as the Turdus migratorius. Sounds like something the cast of Monty Python would have come up with. (laughs) (laughs) And the European robin is known, as we all know, as... Erythacus rubecula. So there you are. Please enter my name into the contest, and that's from Kevin Arnold. And he's in Ottawa, Canada where the only robin we would see at this time of year would be a frozen one. You've been chatting with him, haven't you, over the email? Yeah, well, we just emailed him back to say that uh, I was impressed by the uh, Houses of Parliament in Ottawa. They've got those fantastic copper roofs, all green copper roofs, beautiful. Excellent. So, we must get on. I'm pleased to welcome to our sofa, Dick Barker. And I was trying to think of ways of introducing Dick, and the list got really, really long. So... (laughs) Hello, Dick. Hello. <laughs> Briefly, Dick actually asked me to do my first ever school talk on worms because he was headmaster of Homer Primary School. And I went, and although the talk on worms was fine, the most exciting thing was that he had set up Herefordshire's first and biggest steel band. But even better than that, it was in the swimming pool. And he took me in there with all these kids and he just filled the air with steel pan-whacking sounds. It was great, wasn't it, Dick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? He's an expert clay shooter. I know he is, because Phil was in his club. He is the chairman of our tennis club, and he actually instigated our annual tournament, Battle of the Sexes, which essentially means that he comes and beats us. Um, that's the wiggly women, so uh, moving on from that. He's an expert badminton player, he's really into go-kart racing, and he was, is an occasional wiggly employee, and key point, he was ghost of Christmas present in our play. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> We're not your worthy. Life. I, wasn't, I wasn't seen very much. <laughs> uh. so, so, Dick, this is all very well and good, and of course you're always welcome. But why are you here? Well, really, I'm too embarrassed to say after that sort of build-up. Oh. Uh, basically, uh, my present employer, uh, Philip over there, has, has got sort of views that I don't agree with, and I'd rather like to air some of them. Right. Well, subject matter? Well, it's supermarkets, really, and possibly Tesco's in particular. I think Dick's referring to one of the podcasts we did earlier in the year, Rich, Yeah. where our farmer friend here, Farmer Phil, was talking about how market forces was the important thing and supermarkets were the middleman. And here we are to have our first ever supermarket row. (laughs) So in the red corner, we have Farmer Phil. And in the green corner, we have Dick. Off we go, boys. Right, Phil. Basically, my 
premise is that you accept Tesco's as being a good supplier of food and you're quite happy with the way that they operate and if other farmers can't compete then they should go under that's how it all started as far as I was concerned (laughs) no sweeping comments there no no of course not no I just wanted to introduce you so I'll address all of those in one go that in some instances I have been known to say some of those things but I cannot... Ah, is this the end of the argument? Are you no, retracting them? No, it's not them? the end of the oh, argument. Right, OK. Because whether we like it or not, as farmers or consumers, Tesco's are here to stay. So that we can grizzle and chunter about how Tesco's treat farmers and all the rest of it. But Tesco's are big and powerful. Of the, every £8 we as consumers spend, they get one of them. It's no contest so that we have to work out how to work with them. Oh, you see, this is, this is where the, the whole thing falls down. It's so typically British, you know, because they're there, we've got to accept them. Speed cameras are there. Do you accept them? Um, he has to. He's got nine points. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, it's so British. Uh, you know, Tesco's are so large that we have to accept. We do not have to accept no, them it, at it, all. The point is that because of Tesco's size, they are a highly efficient and successful means of getting food to the consumer. And no farmer can argue with that. I mean, Hereford is a cracking example. They are busy pedestrianising the centre of Hereford, thus ensuring that nobody is going to buy groceries or anything they have to carry in Hereford. So in the supermarket, you drive to the supermarket... You get your food and you put it in your car and you go home and you're happy. Now, my point is that the consumer is best placed to persuade the supermarket to stock what the consumer wants. The farmer is not well placed to tell the supermarket what it stocks because the supermarket will say, what do you know about it? And they'd be right. But the people who really know are the consumer. And my point is that if the farmers manage to get information stroke education to the consumers who then go to the supermarket and say, I want this or I want that, the supermarket will do that because they are business people. The other point I'd like to make is that not all supermarkets are the same. Last week I read an article about Waitrose who in a number of pilot stores have been trying out local produce. So it hasn't gone to their central collection centres, it's gone to a local collection centre and thence to the store. Sales have gone up. These supermarkets aren't stupid. They will be watching what Waitrose are doing and they might not do it in the same way or to the same extent because they perceive their customers to be different. But you can bet your life that it won't have escaped Tesco's attention that their sales went up in Waitrose So Tesco's, I feel sure, will be doing something similar, and that's an example. Consumers have the buying power, and that's what supermarkets are interested in, and they spend a lot of money finding out about it. Oh, he goes on. Of course, of course. I mean, you hear these arguments, consumers control it. They don't. They're led. That's the whole point. This firm is so powerful, it leads people. It tells them what they're going to have. I used to go to Tesco's and used to get some branded goods and they were fine. Now Tesco's produce those branded goods and you can't buy. There's no competition there. It's all their own. Okay, they stock Heinz baked beans, but they've also got their own baked beans there and the the Heinz baked beans are getting smaller in terms of uh, market share than theirs. Theirs are getting larger. I mean, the, the, the whole thing about Tesco's, it's just too powerful. All these small shops we've looked at, sort of town centres, how they're reducing in size simply because shops can't compete with the supermarkets. And all we're ending up with is charity shops and phone shops in a town centre. The whole community is going. And this is what's dangerous about these big things. We are paying too little money for our food. 
And food is too cheap. If you look at the percentage of what's spent on, uh, of your earnings on food now, it's much, much smaller than it was 10, 15 years ago. But having said that, people are beginning to realise now that quality matters. So if you can get local produce, which tastes far better than, than stuff that's imported from abroad, then people will go for it. And this is why Tesco's have come out with their finest range and things like that. They're trying to sort of tempt the, the top end of the market and keep them in the store. But that precisely demonstrates my point. I couldn't agree more that the success of the supermarkets has led to the demise of your high street shops, your grocers and so on. And I think that you're right, that our town centres are becoming a dose of charity shops and that's it. I don't think that that's necessarily part of this argument, but the example of Tesco's finest range is a response to the fact that the consumers are not heading towards the Tesco's value range, that they want value for money and they want quality. And that's one of the things that Tesco's have done to get it. My argument is that that is the start of an education process of the consumer. The consumer has the power. The consumer can change it. Ping! End of round one. While we have the break, we need a small customer survey. Phil, where do you buy your milk from? The local milkman, Matthews. Dick, where do you buy your milk from? Tesco's. Phil, where do you buy your meat from? It varies, but mostly it comes in... At the moment, we have beef from our next-door neighbour, homegrown, home-slaughtered beef, or otherwise we've got a farm shop a couple of miles away where we get it from. Dick, where do you buy your meat from? Uh, Powell's in Hereford. Phil, where do you buy your veggies from? He um, won't know. It's Locke's Garage. Well, some I knew he wouldn't know. Well, I was <laughs> going to say that John Powell grows some of them for us and Absolutely. we grow our own. Dick, where do you buy your veggies from? Tesco's. Phil, where do you buy your chicken from? Uh, chicken is an awkward subject because chickens are variable, but I would have to say that I buy chicken wherever we can, but only under the strict criteria that it comes from a reputable source. Free range. Free range and not intensively produced. Dick, where do you buy your chicken from? Tesco's. Dick, I understand you bought chicken in boiling a bag. <laughs> <laughs> There's an interesting, there's an interesting <laughs> situation here, isn't there? Because you know, Dick, I think one of the reason why Dick is so frustrated by Tesco's especially is probably because he's being led by Tesco's. He's been drawn in by Tesco's and it's a kind of, I mean, for Dick, it's a very convenient store, isn't it? It's kind of pretty much on a doorstep. Well, this, yes, I was going to say, I'm only, I'm only sort of 150 metres from a Tesco's at all, so yeah, it's, yeah. I, don't know, I can go at two o'clock in the morning to buy things. So, it's, so, so, it's so I'm, I'm wondering where, when I listen to Phil and, and, and Dick talk, unfortunately, the thing is, as is always, I I'm, I'm tend to lean towards Phil's argument. Never. But, uh, yeah, it's Never. A, it's a sad state of affairs, but he does seem to be the voice of reason in most cases. However, Dick, well, Dick use, isn't it, really? has some really good and valued points, doesn't he? Absolutely. The one thing, thing that, uh, that Dick mentioned earlier on, is, as opposed to Phil, that we don't have to accept the existence of supermarkets. Phil said that you know, supermarkets are here to stay, and I'm inclined to think that that is almost certainly the case, that they are here to stay. But Dick said, well, no, but you know, we, we could do something about it, and I'm wondering what it is you think that, as a populace, we can do about the fact that supermarkets do have a massive monopoly over the retail industry? Well, I think it has started. I mean, there is that shop outside of Hereford, Oak, Oak Church Farm Shop. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I was thinking of was Locks Garage. You mentioned that earlier. Mm. Now, 
that is not only a shop, it's only, okay, so it's a mini supermarket, but it's also a meeting place. There, that is a community. You could say Lock's Garage is a community, yeah. right. and you could not say that of Tesco's. No. This is the difference. When we first came to Hereford, we, there was a little village shop at Thruxton, and we used to go down there and shop there, and my wife came back and she said, oh, God. she said, I've been in there half an hour. She said, I only wanted two things. I said, well, why? Well, they were talking. Uh, and now we came from London where everything went wham, 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 you know, no hanging about. And all yeah. of a sudden, you were chatting and you yeah. were talking. Yeah. So shopping wasn't just a matter of getting essentials. It was a social interaction. That's right. And the whole of this is disappearing. And that's, it worries me. And with regard to sort of farming, I, yeah, I think the problem with farmers is they're so independent and they're so much out to beat the next one and to get that last penny. Yeah. If they had actually combined in the first place, they would be a huge force and they would provide, and I'm sure people would buy their goods, more of them. You know, these sort of farm shops are springing up all over the place. And OK, there might be a couple of farmers involved in that. But if it, if it was done on a larger basis, I know there was the sort of the potato marketing board and things like that, which is sort of... It's like, interesting. That you're existence. absolutely right. But there, I, mean, I know a few years ago there were instances of farm shops springing up all over the place and lots of them went to the wall. And I'm not sure why that was. I know why. Why? It's because of the convenience that Tesco's offers you. Even though, you know, I've been happily saying we buy our milk from the milkman, whatever. The night before last, I did my shopping online at half past ten at night and I mean for the things like you know cleaning materials and yogurt that sort of thing and it came at 11 o'clock the next morning every single thing was there it's convenience and I think that supermarkets offer fantastic convenience and it's up to us as farmers to convince people that there are products that we provide that are worth the hassle of getting it in another way or it's up to us to convince the supermarket to purchase those products off us and our responsibility as farmers is to do the right thing so if you as a farmer don't agree with broiler houses then you can't blame the supermarket for buying it you must blame yourself for doing it now i'm not saying whether broiler houses are right or wrong but in my world, they're probably wrong, and I wouldn't do it. For the listener, what do you mean by broiler houses? We'll have to go to Farmer Phil to explain it properly. Broiler houses are where chickens are fattened, effectively grown from little chicks into the chickens that you would buy in Tesco's. That's right. And there was an interesting programme, wasn't there? We had a big debate some time ago about the Panorama programme that showed all sorts of crippled chickens, tens of thousands of them in sheds. Yeah. That were being purchased primarily by big stores like Tesco's. And again, you made another interesting point, Dick, about cooperatives. And Heather is leaning towards this thing about cooperatives as well. I know Phil's going to agree with that, but it would seem that in Britain, farmers have generally been slow to work together. And they are difficult, as it seems, for farmers to be able to work together. But one of the most effective ways of being able to demand a certain price for a product is to bunch together and to work together as a, as a cooperative to sell that product. And Can I just say that if you're saying that the middleman is the supermarket who's taken a large wadge of the dosh then surely doesn't that give us lots of opportunities? Because if you can get at the consumer directly, then there is that large wadge of dosh in the middle to be had. Are you saying that they're forcing the prices down or that they're making too much money? 
No, I'm not saying they're making too much money. I mean, that's what they're in business for. What I'm saying is that they are actually conditioning customers. Phil says, oh, it's up to the customers to choose. People don't. They just want an easy life, and the easier the better. Tesco make it so easy. And in the end, they then start saying what there is and what you can have. Yeah, okay, their range increases, but it's their range all the time. They're determining it. What customers have got to learn is what real food tastes like. They've forgotten. You buy a packet of carrots at Tesco's and they don't taste anything like the carrots I used to have. All right, so I'm guilty as well because I put them in. So I think, oh, well, the carrots don't taste too good, so I'll put some parsnips in as well. And the choice is there all year round. And that's a shame as well because you've you've lost that sort of thing when, oh, Brussels sprouts after the first frost. You know, that sort of... So we've we've lost our... I think we've lost our taste for food. It's because we're conditioned. It's easy. We can park in, out, all done, everything paid. You said you shopped online. That's even better, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to get out the armchair and all your shopping's done. But you have to have what they give you. But from, from my point of view as a producer, I mean, I agree totally with that. I, I think that it's likely we've got a whole generation of people who have not experienced what I would call proper meat. But I am also of the opinion that it's utterly pointless me telling the supermarket that they should hang their beef for a week longer. They know that, but they've just attributed a cost to it. They know they can sell it. So they do. But if the consumer goes to them and either votes with their feet and says, I'm not buying that beef, I don't like it, because I've managed to taste some that's nice, that education process is the farmer's job. It's our job to try and make the consumer aware of what's possible. And equally, as you'll hear farmers saying that dealing with the supermarkets is a nightmare, but they still do it. And the reason they still do it is for the same reason that you're talking about people will still buy from the supermarket. It's actually easy to deal with the supermarkets. It's difficult to set up your farm shop. It's difficult to market your goods directly. But the rewards are there. So that whilst farmers will say Tesco's are a complete pain to deal with and they do this, that and the other and they don't pay us enough, they still deal with them. Yeah, but the rewards aren't there, you see. That's exactly what I'm saying. Tesco's can determine what you grow, what type of potato. They want them all the same. There's no scab on and things like that. Mm. Potatoes aren't like that. Potatoes grow in all sizes. Ah. So you're getting, you're getting ridiculous amounts for your produce. Your, your margins are so fine, you can only do it by cultivating large areas and economies of scale and things like that where the small farmers going under all the time you know it's it's just they're determining it all the time they they tell you what potato you're going to grow because so he, he has got a really good point because i went to our parish plan meeting on wednesday night and i met up with clivedale who incidentally was scrooge <laughs> and uh, i said I to him gonna say then. <laughs> i said to him tell me about your beef clive he said, I have store cattle, so he brings them in and then he fattens them. I said, how do you do that? He said, well, I do it on grass, but I mostly do it on cereals now. And I said, why? And he said, well, because the supermarket wants yellow fat now instead of white. And I said, well, what difference will that make? He said, none. I said, where do you buy your beef from? He said, Tesco's. I said, if you wanted the best taste in beef, how would you fatten it? And he said, I think I'd fatten it on grass and I think I'd make sure it was hung for a week longer. But people don't want that. That's crazy, isn't it? My point is, who is the person or people who are best placed to try and persuade Tesco's to conform? I don't believe it's the farmers. Well, it would if they got together and were strong enough to resist Tesco's. They're not at the moment. I mean, if Tesco's have a buy one, get one free... 
bog I'm, off. Yeah, bog off. <laughs> That's right. I understand, and I might not be right, but I understand that, they, in fact, the supplier has to pay part of that. That's true. Mm. So they're saying, well, we're going to give people an extra one, and people think, oh, how good. But they don't know that the supplier is being told, not asked, told, they're going to get less because they're doing this. So this, I come this back to the original point, whose place is it? to tell Tesco's? Because I, I think you've just said it's the consumer's place to tell Tesco's, but they don't know what to tell them yet. No, because they're conditioned. That's what I say. The Tesco's are so powerful. They totally conditioned their shoppers. They think, oh, that's, that's good. It's that's got to be. It's at like Tesco's. It must be right. I mean, the most poignant point, I think one of the most poignant points of this argument is the fact is, is that Heather has just said that Clive Dale, who produces beef for Tesco's, buys his beef from Tesco's but yeah. would prefer it to be something other than what he's producing from Tesco's. Now, isn't that just completely strange behaviour? Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, have... ultimately, if the only way that things are going to change is that both the farmers and the consumer dictate to the supermarkets what they want, ultimately it is down to the farmer and the producer of the foods to educate people, to give them an idea of what's best and what's flavoured. Personally, there's no way I would buy meat and vegetables from a supermarket absolutely not a chance because it's poor quality stuff in the defense of tesco some of the organic produce that they sell now is pretty good but that's yeah, the problem yeah. you see they're getting at you okay you say you You've wouldn't buy normal ones but now you, you will yeah, it's good to be critical isn't it like phil we, we tend to buy our produce from all over we get a veggie box scheme so we've got quality vegetables produced locally we buy meat that's been well hung from local butchers that tell you where you get it from mm. how long it's yeah. been hung where it's been grown tastes better a bit more expensive but again, you see, that's one of the main reasons why people will go to the supermarkets is because food is cheap and it is much too cheap. Ding! We must move on. That's the um, end of round two. In our next commercial break, we will allow one sentence to each boy to put their last point across. And this is one go because you're so naughty because you do go on. So because Dick is our guest, I shall give him the last word. So, Phil the farmer first, what is your advert? We as farmers are responsible for educating and informing the consumers of the quality of our produce and they will then perceive value for money and indeed they'll get value for money and they can afford to pay a little bit more for proper, well-prepared food. Thank you, but I think you could have added a bit of razzmatazz and possibly music to that. (laughs) I'll leave the music to you. (coughs) Richard. I think it's down to all of us. It's down to all of us. We need to be proactive rather than reactive. If we want to make a difference to the quality of food that we're able to get, then we need to make a firm stand. And we need to make an effort to source our food appropriately. Oh, that was a cutting stab (laughs) in the back for you there, Dick. Not at all. I I agree with both of those. I, I, I do think that food is too cheap, that people have got to be prepared to pay more, and I think if they actually tried real food, you know, proper carrots and proper potatoes, the taste is so different. They've got to make the effort. And once they do, once they taste it, I think they won't go back. Wow. So we all agree. <laughs> supermarket right now. We haven't given this supermarket any chance to reply. And there's a million issues that are in the air at this moment. For example, I know there are tons of working mums who their job depends on Tesco's. They've got hours of flexibility. There's all sorts of other issues. So if you work at Tesco's or whatever supermarket is and you want to put your argument to this panel of reprobates, then email richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or if you want to sort of 
unbiased email, wiggly at wigglywigglers.co.uk, and I can assure you that I will pass on all those responses to Dick, Phil the Farmer and Richard. So if you're up for a bit of a rant, love, get in touch. And you could send an audio file. We're right up for audio files, aren't we, Michael? He nods. He's got earphones on, so he's just nodding, but he's nodding. So get in touch with us. Send an MP3 file through. You can send it on Waxmail, I think. Thank you very much. We had a laugh the other night, Rich, because, uh, as you know, observation is quite important when you're looking at wildlife and things like that. And Heather was sat at my computer, which is in front of the window, looking out. And in the floodlight on the lawn, not 20 feet from her, was a badger busily hoovering up any bird seed that had fallen off one of the bird feeders and Heather hadn't seen it and it was great and actually a couple of nights before I let Toast out and she chased it into the honeysuckle which I don't think did the honeysuckle very much good but the badger was fine he obviously wasn't too fussed because he came back two nights later so now you're saying that I look old and I'm blind (laughs) possibly (laughs) is that right is it it's just a Heather bashing moment isn't it it's outrageous you said we were boring you are. <laughs> I, no. I don't think it's boring calling you old and blind. I think it's dangerous. It's very risky. <laughs> old well, and blind. Well, getting straight over to the youngest member of the Gorange household, who certainly isn't old and certainly isn't blind, and somehow last week managed to get his first ever guitar solo played to 1,200 people. It is. And he said to me, well, Mum, is that more than comes to the village hall? And I said, as the maximum capacity of the village hall is 120, indeed it is. Mm. Monty. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. A garden worm, Lumbricus terrestris, lives between 862 days to 887 days. That's up to six years old. Thanks, Monty. Good job. Well, that's it then. We've come to the end of another exciting episode, another wiggly podcast. And we've enjoyed ourselves today, haven't we? That's some really good debate. Bit of a row on. Yeah, hopefully that'll give people some food for thought. Is that a forward plan? forward to it. I think it might have been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we look forward to some responses. And you reckon you're interesting? Yeah. <laughs> Shut your face. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> And the Latin name for a robin is? Latin name for a robin is... Oh, God, how do you pronounce that? That's why I give it you. (laughs) (laughs) Robinus Robinus. (laughs) 